0: of instrumental surf music, Merle Fankhauser. He's lucky enough to play and honored to play for the first
1: Dharma benefit <laughs> way back in 80 something. Thanks to Willie Kay and Willie Nelson. We're going to do Y-Pop for you right now.
2: This is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host, Rob Elba. It's wonderful having you all here with me. I am in Los Angeles, California, as you all know, and that will, that does pertain to uh, what we're talking about. But uh, first, I would like to welcome uh, back to the show, returning guest, our old friend, Mick Hans from Chicago. Welcome back to the show, Mick. Hi, Rob. Nice to be back. Yeah, it's good having you, and Mick, you were doing a business uh, today, uh, right, earlier? You had like some kind of meeting, and you're doing...
1: I I, I went downtown, downtown Chicago, which I don't do every day anymore, because who goes to the office anymore? Right, but you actually had to go into the office today. I'm required to go in occasionally.
2: Okay, occasionally, and you're Mick, I'll be honest with you, you've told me what you've done several times, and I still don't really understand what you do, but um, it sounds important, kind of important... (laughs)
1: I, um, I, I work for the government and, um, uh, try to keep the wheels moving. There
2: you go. <laughs> that's it. And you know, these days, what, uh,
1: that's all you could do, right. Is just trying. Uh, to Yes. Yes. The doors are don- <laughs> we're open today and that's good.
2: All right. So Mick has brought, what he brought to talk about is once in a while we get, uh, you know, people bring things, obviously a lot of people bring things that I've never heard of because I'm not, you know, even though I have a music, uh, podcast, I've learned that most of my listeners, I won't say all my listeners, but a good portion of my listeners know much more about music and have a much more extensive knowledge of uh, records and artists than I do. And so I'm constantly getting uh, introduced to new people. But this is really, I mean, this is something that's obscure. It's fair to say this is pretty obscure, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there, there is a cult for sure. Oh yeah, there's a cult, and I found some yeah. cultists online. But there's, but there's also, uh, it, it's also not easy to find a lot of information on it, or uh, just because uh, you know that's the that's how it is. But uh,
1: what are we talking about? We're going to talk about the Merrill Fankhauser and HMS Bounty record from 1968, which is called "Things" (parenthetically) going round in my mind.
2: <laughs> All right. So this guy, Merrill uh, Fankhauser, this is just one, like, Merrill Fankhauser and HMS Bounty is just one of his many projects that he was in, involved with, right?
1: Correct. And um, p- part of the reason I picked it, besides the fact it's a, a record I've had for a long time, and it's one of those fun records to pull out because it's got an interesting story, is um, last year, Cherry Red's Grapefruit Imprint put out a wonderful little six-CD box of the best of Merrill Fankhauser, basically, from 1964 to 79, which includes several different records that his cult has built around.
2: Oh, okay. So, yeah, so uh, originally his first band was like an instrumental surf band, sort of, right? The Impacts?
1: Yeah, yeah. So Merrill will be 80 in December, and I believe he's still out there. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about things he's been doing in recent years later, I think. But, um, yeah, he was in a teen band in... Um, Uh, central coast of California like 5960 that eventually sort of morphed into an early surf band called The Impacts. And Merrill claims to be the author or um, you know the guy who did the first version of wipeout yeah. which apparently didn't have quite as many drum rolls I think as the later version of the by the Surfaris that we've all heard but Merrill owns the rights to Wipeout, which he reclaimed in the 90s at some point um and then he was later in a kind of a, a so-so you know early 60s garage kind of band called the Ex- uh, Maryland the Exiles right uh which is also in this box and uh, after that, he was in the first of his real cult bands, which was called Fapar Dockley.
0: The music scene has got me down Cause I don't want to be a clown My hair's my long and I don't sport
1: the right kind of Right. Kind of a <laughs> dumb name composed of the couple of letters of each of the band members names right um and that's also a big cult item and a big collectible item oh yeah i saw
2: yeah an album yeah. like if you have an pepper dockley record that's worth a lot of money
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> apparently so all over the world you know it's it's a real collector thing right um kind of a folk rock thing it, it's quite good actually um, right. we could have done that record as well um and then a year after that in 68 some of those guys and Merrill um, created this band called Merrill Fankhauser and HMS Bounty, which were about as British as the Sir Douglas Quintet, basically, right? who, who were from Austin, the Doug Thompson's band. And they put out this one record that didn't do very much other than get some local airplanes. But they were players on the LA scene in the late 60s. And um, if you haven't heard it before, you're certainly going to hear some of the other players from that period, like Buffalo Springfield and. Um, Quicksilver, Spirit, um, Love, and I'd say the monkeys, frankly. Oh There's yeah, some monkeys yeah. In there Yep. So it fits right into that, even though a lot of people haven't heard it. But I'm sure there are some people who are regular listeners here who also know the record.
2: Yeah, probably. I was thinking that, and um, and then eventually he like sort of got like obsessed with Hawaii. He moved to Hawaii and had this band uh, Moo, right?
1: Right. He became obsessed with uh, the lost continent of Moo, which <laughs> may be the islands of Hawaii. Uh, and he and his next band, um, which was called Moo, which was started in L.A., moved to Maui in 1973. And he has his own. There's another cult around Merrill, um, around the Moo Records, which are quite cool in a 70s, hippie, bluesy, proggy kind of way that doesn't sound like this. But they're also very much worth checking out if that sounds interesting to you. I'm
2: So I guess we could just say he was a very he was an interesting uh, character, like you said, playing since he was a teenager in California. I, I give him I give him great credit for keeping his name, Merrill
1: Fankhauser, you Fankhauser. Would think especially in,
2: in that day. They would say, oh, kid, come up with a stage name or come up with something else. But it's like, nope, he's stuck with Fankhauser.
1: Right. A lot of letters on the back of the uniform. And interestingly, um, his father, Milt Fankhauser, uh, he was born in Louisville. In 1943 his father was both a pilot and a race car driver and he raced in the 1950 indy 500 according to what i found online
2: oh nice yeah and uh and uh, yeah it, it's funny you mentioned the wipeout thing and, and when i first read that that he said i said oh well he's you know probably there's all sorts of people that say they invented it but but like no i think really because what happened was he his band played it and then this this label like sort of Basically stole it from him And like put Had them sign You know they were like kids And they had them sign this thing Where they Basically signed All the rights away They started Selling the record And for years He would, uh, you know, have people would ask him to sign this record that he got no money from and had no writing credits on. But he did win uh, the credits back, like he said, in 1994. He won the uh, publishing rights back to it. So, uh,
1: yeah, uh, Merrill's journey through the 60s is really the story of, you know, early rock and roll exploitation by managers of of young bands. I I don't think he ever made a cent from any of these bands, but uh, he has somehow continued to be a working musician, you know, his whole life.
2: Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, which is great. And uh, yeah, Yeah. I should mention right now that you could find him on Bandcamp, and you go to just search Merrill uh, Fankhauser on Bandcamp, and you could get this album HMS Bounty Things, and there's other things available, and that's uh, that's great because I'm sure, hopefully, he gets some uh, some from that. And like Mick said, yeah, he's still playing, he's still uh, working, and yeah, I just read a a interview, like a recent interview with him, and he said he just loves, you know, uh, writing music, playing music, and that's his love and. that's what he does and really yeah really a talented guy really great guitar player i mean that's that's what kind of sets this uh album apart for me cuz a lot of it sounds very like you could hear like birds uh the birds and uh, the who and like you said monkeys some of it's poppy but also some of it's more surf and that but the songs the songs are really good but then he's got these instrumental breaks in it and the guitar breaks which are great definitely a step above you know a lot of other things that were out at that time
1: it's also very much a commercial record i mean these are short songs right they're snappy they are you know they're they're kind of written from the same headspace that the monkey songs were all built out of um you know he wanted he thought he was writing a hit record right i think like everybody in la thought they were doing in 1967 which is to believe looking back today but i think that's what they all thought they were doing
2: (laughs) well and the one thing the label that this originally came out what was the label that this originally came out of
1: um so it was on the shamley label which was part of uni uni right it was part of mca and you, you probably did this research too um so at the time uni was a fairly prominent label and some of the other bands they had at that time were the strawberry alarm clock the foundations Hugh Masekewa, my favorite, Desmond Decker. Yep. And, and you've got lots of choices here to play something. John Fred and his Playboy <laughs> band. It's Judy in the Sky.
0: Judy in the Sky. Well, that's what you are.
3: Lemonade pies with a brand new car. Catalobe eyes come to the tonight. Judy in the Sky with glasses.
2: Right. But also, what, who did they sign, though, around the same time as this?
1: Yeah. One of the reasons this record lost momentum <laughs> is they signed Neil Diamond, you know, after his songwriting period and um, lost all interest in promoting this band, right. got behind Neil Diamond and they were very effective at that. Hot August
0: night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on
1: the ground smelling sweet.
0: We got Neil there. They said, We got Neil
2: Diamond. <laughs> Fuck
1: this weird. Uh, right. and, and, and nobody has heard of Meryl Fankhauser today. So <laughs> I know. And not uh, a lot of people.
2: Yeah. You're not right. Not many
1: people.
2: <laughs> you're right, though. There are, uh, it is, uh, a lot of it is the story of just someone, you know, more interested in playing and writing music than maybe the uh, business of it. But, you know, they always say you should pay more attention to that. I think I read at one point someone got him to basically sell the
1: rights to record or something for like $1 or something like
2: that (laughs) some ridiculous thing. And it's just, uh,
1: I don't know if I saw that one, but there were a lot of stories like that throughout the sixties. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, just, you know, it's a shame, but we got
2: this, uh, we got this stuff to listen to, and this is a great record. And like I said, something I never, never heard before. I uh, was really excited to hear. Uh, you know, I've been listening to it for the all week, and it's just really great, catchy songs. Like like Mick said, really short, a uh, poppy songs that that get in your head, and and they're a lot of them are earworms, and they're really good. And uh, let's uh, let's get to it. Let's get with the opening track. It's uh, things going round in my mind.
0: Things are going round in my mind, things are going to make me cry, if you don't say you'd be my girl, these things are going to make me die, things I've got to tell you sometime. things I think that you should know, if you don't say you'd be my girl, these things
2: Great! It's just like a really great song. That 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 bridge that comes in is is awesome, and uh, and the harmonies and everything. It's just it's really a great song, great opener.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it was intended as a single. Um, sounds like other stuff of the period. For yeah, sure. and
2: you could totally hear it. You could you could imagine it have been like a, like a hit single, whatever you know, at that time. Like I said, uh, birds. I hear a little birds influence there with the jangly guitars and the harmonies. All right, so Mick, here's one question I have for you. Not, I know you're a huge
1: music fan, not a musician at all, right? Um, I've failed at a couple of, of instruments, but I am not a musician.
2: Okay, that's just to show people. People think I only have musicians on, I guess, and see that is not true. I have music fans on, and I always, you know, I've always said that really the real fans of music are the people that aren't musicians. Those are the ones that <laughs> really. Well, yeah,
1: actually, I was thinking about that while listening to one of the recent shows with um, somebody who's a real musician, really picking apart how the songs were constructed. Right. And you're not going to get that from me.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But which is great. <laughs> <laughs> because it's more pure, it's more pure fandom. But how do you discover, like, how do you discover uh, Meryl uh, Fankhauser?
1: Um, I think I originally discovered it in a review in Option Magazine at some time in the '80s during. It must have been one of the many reissues of this record. Oh, okay. And it sounded cool, so I wrote away for it. And actually, the copy I got included a Xerox photo of Meryl playing guitar, and it was autographed. Oh, nice. <laughs>
3: Xerox. Not, a, not an eight by
1: ten glass. Xerox. Right. It's a Xerox. That's awesome. I'd love that. You know, I remember
2: that too, Mick. I remember sending away we used to send away for stuff. You'd read about something sure. and you'd send away mail order
1: and you'd get it. And that's awesome. you couldn't <laughs> dial up and listen to it. In fact, you couldn't hear it unless you, you found couldn't. a copy. And so you I had, to go I had by never it. seen a copy of this before that, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, you have you had to go by the faith of what you're reading of whoever right.
2: you're reading the review of it, and you said, Ah, oh, that sounds interesting. That sounds like I might like it. And and a lot of times, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 And then after
1: that, I bought a couple of the Maui records, which were very different, but also pretty cool and fun. But this record also and the Faber-Dockley record have been reissued several times over the years on CD by Sundays and um, along with this more recent box. Yeah, so it's yeah. out there, unless you want the Valuable Collector Edition
2: Yeah, that's cool, yeah, I actually found, when looking around online I found, like, a couple of different issues of it But that box mm-hmm. set sounds awesome, it's amazing Because, yeah, you really want to If you like this guy, if you're interested and you like this guy Yeah, there's so much to dig into So much interesting stuff Yeah, it's fun Yeah, it is, it's great And uh, now we get, uh, let's see, song number two Another, like, like we said, just quick, short uh, pop songs But great, this is Girl, I'm Waiting for You Really, uh, you know, aside from his guitar playing, he he, he was a really great uh, singer. You know, had a really uh, really good voice, and uh, and really sings the sings the heck out of these songs. And this one, it's nice. I like. It. It's got the strum acoustic, and then it's got for sure that's got to be a twelve string uh, guitar, like the birds used a lot, and definitely you hear that. It's, a, it's yeah. I didn't a,
1: find much string. information on you know who played what and so on. I I right. think the lead player on some of the records, I assume Meryl must have been the lead on a lot of it. Um, is Bill Dodd, who's also in the band and was in some of his other bands.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we didn't mention, so basically HMS Bounty uh, on bass, you had Jack Jordan, right? Yeah. Jack Jordan on bass and Larry Myers on drums. So this album came after Fapperdoki uh, Dockley, right? <laughs> they're both 68
1: this is late 68
2: oh okay right right yeah. right right and yeah and the faber thing that was never it was just sort of like recordings he did with this band that band was short-lived really right
1: um, yeah the the collection actually is sort of an odds and sods mix of Exile's songs and some other stuff he was doing though it, it all holds together pretty well and if you didn't know the backstory it would just sound like a kind of lighter version of this record that we're listening to I forgot to mention speaking of other guys who played with Merrill. Two people Merrill played with in earlier bands um, when he was living out in the California desert included John French and Jeff Cotton, better known as Grumbo and antenna Jimmy Siemens from the Captain Beefheart band. My
3: smile is stuck. I cannot go back to your frown. He's he a bit
1: of a rival of Merrill's um, in the late 60s. So he's in and out of that scene a little bit. His family, yeah, because his family moved. They lived, like, right near each other, right? Something like that. They were all part of the same teen scene, I think, pretty yeah, much.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some... <laughs> That was really interesting to see And uh, yeah, there's some crossover there And uh, that's good I'm glad you mentioned Odds and Sods Because this next one, What Does She See in You I definitely hear kind of an early Who vibe Which I do hear in some of this other stuff too But I definitely in this one here Listen to a little bit of What Does She See in You Yeah, so uh, what do you think, Mick? Do you hear in that chorus part? I just hear kind of like a who? I hear like it could be like a Pete Townsend
3: song.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure that was in the air uh, at right. the time. Yeah, um, the this one is where he starts getting a little more psychedelic. I mean, this isn't Hawkwind psychedelic, but it, there's definitely that light like, California psychedelia flowing yes. through this record, <laughs> and yeah. and the first three songs are actually all variations of not quite getting the girl, right, in various right, ways. right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, which will happen again um, And another theme that comes up a lot Is Marilyn laying around looking at the sky Basically being stoned um, That comes up a lot too Which is not surprising given the period Yeah and you know an- another thing I was thinking Just looking like he was a very
2: He, he was a good looking guy Like a blonde surfer looking guy mm-hmm. So You would think there was still uh, You know who knows there's just some kind of Secret sauce or some. <laughs> Something that didn't... Didn't click or didn't transfer over because you could see, like you know, uh, he he definitely looked more the part of the California surfer guy than uh, the Beach Boys. uh, Most of the Beach Boys, oh for sure, yeah, (laughs) right. But uh, yeah, it's it's great though. All right, so now we get another really quick. Most of these songs, like Nick said, they're like two minutes long, a little over two minutes. This one is just over two minutes. Uh, It's called Lost in the Sea.
0: Somebody told me not to go to this place You smile you laugh and you try to hide In your eyes I'm a shell of
2: So yeah, that guitar, that like uh, fuzzed out guitar stuff. I mean, that's that's so great and that's so sixties. And this, so you discovered this in the eighties, right? This is when you discovered oh, right. you yeah. started listening to this in the eighties. But uh, so this, like, this is before. I know we're about the same age, like we said. So this is a little before our time. So oh, yeah.
1: We we were young young boys in short pants. We were young boys, right? Out.
2: So you, I kind of miss like it's funny. Most of this music we came to like later, and we came to. I'm sure you came to appreciate
1: like oh, I yeah, did. It's classic can. rock. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. Yeah, like, uh, it's classic rock. But you, I don't know. Do you have any older siblings or something? Because I I have an older sister, so I did get exposed to some stuff earlier. You know, maybe when I was a little. Uh, no, well, I'm I'm the
1: oldest of two, but there were certainly you know older brothers in the neighborhood who you know. Were influences on some of my early musical taste.
2: Right, right, yeah, and I had cousins that I know were already like now. I realized they were yeah. they were already smoking pot and stuff like that, and I'd go and you know, and I but I didn't realize it then. But they were this is this is the music that you lay around and you smoke pot and you listen to in the sixties. Sure. This
1: is it. Uh, yeah, I, I hear some cream in this one. And oh I yeah, wasn't with, sure. with that
2: uh, guitar, with the fuzz guitar.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't seen any writing about this anywhere, but it. My instinct is that maybe this isn't him singing this one, that maybe this is one that maybe Bill Dodd sang. Because oh. the vocal's are a little tougher than right. anywhere else on the record. And it might just be Merrill, you know, being tougher with his vocals on this.
3: Right, right, right. But
1: right. It, it, the vibe is a little different. Um you never know about writing credits and who really wrote things. Oh, yeah.
2: and, and uh, From this yeah. period. As we said, it's really hard to find much information on this. Like, usually when I do a record, I'll be able to look and I'll be able to find the lyrics. I could not find the lyrics to any of this stuff. I had to just listen, you know, and sort of pick them out myself. But I could not find it. I,
1: I only found one song. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and it's a little confusing. It's the same one you found. It's on the, on the B side yep 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 yep
2: but um you know whatever it is what it is but we're bringing it to light a day now and now we got another uh two minute rocker this is your painted lives So yeah, this is the 60s. So a lot of these do have that little theme. Not not like, he doesn't hit it hard, but he does hit it against, you know, uh, a counterculture that where the counterculture and someone, you know, your uh, painted lives, I think he's talking about, you know, people that just sort of live their, their, you know, sort of laid out for them regular lives. And it's like not a counterculture that was coming up. So that's all in there. But, you know, it's, it's funny. There's so many different, even though it, the album as a whole works good, but there is very different sounding things on this record from song to song. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's almost a little uh, schizophrenic almost. It's almost like, I think what, what you said was that he was trying to write. So maybe he was kind of reaching for, cause he had already been doing this for, for a while at this point.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think he was really a professional songwriter at this point. And I think he actually did spend some time doing commercial songwriting. There's some reference to, it in some interviews I found probably somewhere around this period. Uh, this one's also one of the first songs on the record that's real strong in the uh, Buffalo Springfield birds kind of way, for sure.
2: Right, 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 right. Yeah, so, you uh, you know, he was probably, he was he was listening. These were his contemporaries at the time listening. And, you know, he, he was smart enough and talented enough to write these songs that you would think, oh, well, this is, I'm writing my hit record. But, you know, for whatever, because of uh, Neil Diamond, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. <laughs>
1: Damn that Neil Diamond! I mean, if it wasn't for Neil Diamond, we might be singing um, this next song. Actually, you know, at ballparks,
2: driving inside. Uh, uh, during, uh, the uh, in, during the
1: seventh during the seventh inning, right? At
2: the Red Sox game during seventh in, in, seventh inning, where they sing a little "Driving Sideways." guitar sound is great and and one thing that i really
1: noticed that the whole album as a whole was recorded really well and it sounds really good yeah i mean it it was recorded in the context of those other songs those other records we talked about earlier right right but there's some of the period
2: yeah 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 but there's some stuff like i still i still contend there's like if you listen to some early kink stuff it it really doesn't sound that good some (laughs) stuff you know that's true. But, uh, you know, obviously great songs and uh, it transcends. But yeah, this is uh, he 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 definitely had it dialed in as far as his uh, guitar sounds and uh, layering the guitars and stuff. I mean, it's definitely pretty sophisticated, I would say.
1: Yeah, this is the real nugget, I think, of the record. Um, You know, this is the classic garage punk kind of sound that I, I love. Right. Though, actually, this song does not appear on the L.A. Nuggets box a oh, Faber-Dockley really? song appears on the LA Nuggets box.
0: One day she comes, and another day she goes, she only stays to let everybody know that she... Oh,
1: okay, okay. Small fact. Um, it's also the first appearance of uh, Men in Suits. Who are keeping him down Yes, turn up later in the record as well
2: Oh, that's right, and they're gonna come back Yeah, they're coming back on this record But uh, before that, we get the song Under two, this song doesn't even make two minutes Uh, And it's uh, Coincidentally, it's called In a Minute Not Too Soon yeah there's that fuzzed out guitar lead that's uh, it's great it's so great
1: uh, yeah first song side B so I assume this is one they were hoping was going to get airplay. And it's got that nice shouted chorus.
2: Yes. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and now we get, of course, this is the 60s. So, of course, we have to have like a Eastern, some Eastern influences and some uh, sitars. I don't even know, Mick, I don't even know if it's actually a sitar in this because sometimes they would just make, you know, the guitars sound like sitars. Uh, but this one could be,
1: right? Yeah, I have no idea. In fact, I'm not even quite sure about uh, the woman in the title of the song. Who I did some research on, and I couldn't quite pin down what was going on. <laughs> so I can share some stuff on the other side I found.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of. I, I know I tried to, and I came up with nothing. So whatever you came yeah. up with is more <laughs> than me. So let's do a visit with a Shia. <laughs>
1: Watch the clouds roll by. Watch the clouds roll by. Yeah. All right. So what did you find? Did you find out anything about this? Well, there's a lot about Ashia online. Whether any of it's relevant here, I don't know. But um, Ashia is a city in Japan. Oh, ashia
2: that's right I, I uh, knew I was pronouncing it wrong but that's my thing Mick that that, that I pronounce things wrong as, as I get older I'm going to pronounce I'm eventually uh, I, I, to pronounce I do the same
1: fair and I forget people's names as well oh, God, um yeah. ashia is also the name of a video game or anime character that there are a lot of websites about which is something I don't know anything about oh but okay but you will find that <laughs> google right
2: when when right. Uh, googling that's what came up first You're right. but that
1: was not the case in 1969 yeah. um, it also means spirit of the ash tree in several Indian languages languages my assumption here is it was just something exotic sounding yes at the time and there was no internet to second guess any of that at the time
2: no 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 and, it, and it's funny even though it, it's it's really good and i i like it it's sort of expansive for this album it's it's over three minutes so it's like an expansive yeah. song but it also reminds me, do you remember in uh, Spinal Tap when they showed, like, an early version of the band when they played the Flower
1: People song? It reminds mm-hmm. me of that, yeah. like, if
2: a band was in, going through their uh, psychedelic it's Eastern phase, way. you know, that song that they would
1: do. You know, and that actually reminds me, um, yeah, in Spinal Tap, they show it in, like, a, a mock uh, or uh, kinescope. Yes, yes, a, yes, yes. You know, intentionally, <laughs> right. but... Um, I couldn't find any video of HMS Bounty online. Oh,
3: yeah, I know. You're right.
1: There's there's a fair amount of stuff from Maui if you go looking, right. and it's fun stuff in a Maui hippie way. We yep. I recommend that, but there were just a few, a few still photos from HMS Bounty of them wearing white and looking like they have mustaches.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. It's really just, uh, it definitely uh, uh, paints a picture, like a strange picture, almost like it could be a band that, that someone made up to say like a some 60s made up band, but they were a real band,
1: you know? Very they're, much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're straight out of that. <laughs>
2: um. All right. And now we get another, I, I really like this next one too. It's kind of, um, I don't know, they, they, they touched like, all the bases with this stuff I mean they really uh, went all over the place which maybe maybe partially was to their detriment too because maybe people just couldn't wrap their head around all the different styles and sounds but this is The Big Gray Sky You know, really, when when first when when I listened to this, I said, "Oh, this just sounds like like a '60s, like a classic." Like if you're watching a movie about the '60s, this would be playing on the radio. But when you really listen to it, there's a lot going on with the uh, guitars and the intertwining guitars and stuff. There really is a lot going on. It's very, it it it's crafted very well.
1: Yes, yeah, it's all well crafted. Um, and this is another one of those songs where Meryl's laying around looking at the sky.
2: Yes. <laughs> Oh, you know these you know this guy smoked a lot of weed. <laughs> he did. And pro hopefully he probably still does, you know, good for him. I hope he do. I hope he is.
1: Yeah, it, there's nothing wrong with it and um it's perfectly legal these days. There
2: you go. Um yeah, I contend anyone over uh 65 should automatically be just given weed like uh Medicare. When you get your Medicare, you should get weed automatically too. And I say that as someone who works for an airline, and I do not smoke weed because that is, I cannot do that, and I get drug tested, so I'm just saying for
1: other people. So, yeah, and I don't even find it that interesting anymore. But
2: <laughs> no, but I know I like uh, my mom would would do great on it. You know, my 92 year old mom. I wish she would smoke weed, but
1: uh, yeah. Well, you can talk about that when you go visit her.
2: There you go. <laughs> All right. So this one, you were talking about the men, uh, uh, the men in suits, right? Yep. So, rich man's fable. I, I actually, I also found a really interesting story about this one too. But oh. let's, uh, let's listen to it a little bit, and then we'll talk about it. Rich man's fable. Mm-hmm. That the man in the suit has no
1: use for you tonight. Nope. This was one of the singles on the record.
2: Oh yeah, I could totally see that how it would be.
1: Uh, yeah, there's some um, photos online of a picture sleeve. Oh, of, nice. For this particular record, yeah.
2: Nice. All right. So, did you see something about uh, faber Um, they used to play at this place called the the Cove in uh, Pismo.
1: Yes, but why don't you tell the story? Because I think you've memorized it better than I have. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, he told the story that they used to play, uh, Faber-Docchi played at this place called the Coven Bismo. And according to uh, Fankhauser, one night, a motorcycle club called Satan's Slaves came into the bar and sort of took over the place. And he said they made them play, uh, this was like one of their new originals at the time, Rich Man's Fable. And they made them play it for over half an hour. And they ordered them not to stop until they told them to. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: when a when a motorcycle gang takes over your bar you better do what they say you better
2: do what they say and that's exactly what they said they said the owner and the barmaids were just sort of standing there in like fear and uh yeah they just wanted them they the they wanted to hear this song for about a half hour and then they just all took off they he said they they turned their uh motorcycles around they filled they filled the club with uh with their exhaust and then took off into the night
1: well, this one at least rocks. So if you had to hear it 10 or 12 times, I think. Um, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Girl, I'm waiting for you. I'm not sure if I would have wanted to hear that one so many times over and over right. again.
2: Right. Well, something, obviously something in this song spoke to um, Satan's uh, slaves. <laughs> uh, I thought that was awesome, though. Uh, you know, you, you can't beat the 60s, you know, late 60s, 70s. It's just you, you can't beat that time. You know, it's just uh, kids today just have no idea.
1: There's another anecdote from the little booklet that comes with this box um, that talks about when they were going into Gold Star Studios, which was a big studio in in L.A. um, for for one of the sessions for this record. They were coming in after Iron Butterfly, and they had to first clear out all the empty beer cans. Nice.
2: (laughs) Um, right. so do you know anything, do you know any backstory on this next song, Ice Cube Island?
1: I didn't see anything written my take on it is um there's a lot of metaphorical stuff in there i'm assuming it's about uh, a woman who's being cold yeah yeah that's and the, and you know melting that away is uh meryl's objective though it's kind of vengeful too it's not exactly a, a love song
2: no 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 it's not all right so let's do a little bit of ice cube I she built a-
0: Who the god
2: the wall she burns the incense and she hates us all (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) which is fun because some of the other songs on here are just real simple love songs
2: right right right
1: and he's working hard at his metaphors and uh his poetry here he is but it's also but it's
2: cool and and again we have a, a a different feel a different vibe and uh it's nice you know
1: the opening line says something about the horse people which i couldn't quite pin down so there, there's a lot of that kind of all-over-the-board imagery in this one.
2: Right, 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 right. And uh, all right, so we got, we'll, we'll talk about the bonus. I know there's a couple, uh, there's a single, and there's a really funny uh, cover also, but this is on the on the proper original record, this was the last song, Madam Silky, right? Yes. Yep. All right, so let's listen to the uh, final song on the record, Madam, what, what a title, right? The, the, the titles on all these songs are really great. <laughs> They're outstanding. Yeah. Madam Silky. From you. The- great because you've got that you got those harmonies those really pretty nice harmonies but then it's also very uh garagey sounding garage rock sounding too so it's got it's kind of like he it's like i said it's kind of a uh, schizophrenic in a way like he wasn't
1: sure what he
2: wanted to be
1: yeah he wanted to do something raga and eastern influence and he wanted to rock and there were other Bands like that in that period too so right 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 it's right. not out of place
2: no 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 it's no, a right.
1: it's a weird song um it sounds like he's stalking somebody but then he also <laughs> wants to comfort her Right. <laughs> and it, it's a little creepy um and probably not very woke from today's perspective no well nothing but it's a just, good rocker
2: just about nothing from that era was really uh, yeah know. that's correct <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is, and it's a cool uh, it's a cool way to end the the record proper. But all right, so I'm flying. I, I'm flying home. Was a
1: single? Was a standalone single? Um, I think it was the B side, "The Girl I'm Waiting for You."
2: Oh, okay, okay, okay. B side. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but but cool. Uh, uh cool. yeah, this one rocks. Yeah, it, it does. It's just a straight up rocker. Let's do a little bit of "I'm Flying Home." Once again, do you think this is Merrill's singing? Is, is this Merrill singing this?
1: Well, I'm probably competing with what I said earlier because it's, it is that same kind of gruff delivery. Right, the, the, the gruff, the yeah, aggressive, much more aggressive. And I haven't seen anything written anywhere that anybody but Merrill was singing. Right, so maybe um, he just,
2: so, you know, he wanted to, these songs he wanted to differentiate and just sing really more aggressive. Maybe when he's
1: rocking out, he just gets gruffer yeah 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 he's definitely rocking out on that one and so what what is the so rob you're the guitar player what's the effect there somebody bought a new pedal or something like that
2: oh that do i you know i i don't know i think maybe he's doing that with his it's like a really heavy vibrato but he may just be doing that with his left hand i mean he 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 may just be doing that because some people are really good at that that it's just like doing a uh uh, vibrato, really heavy vibrato, just using their uh, their fingers in their left hand. So could be that, or it could be, you know, pedals. Uh, who knows what kind of pedal you got? Right. But, but yeah, it's cool. It's definitely cool. 60s, t- totally 60s sounding, but great. All right. Every, <laughs> this is probably like one of the weirdest covers that we've done on the show. If we had an episode of like, uh, you know, just strange covers, this could be a song. I could see you coming in with this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could.
1: You're right. So what is it? Well, this is... Uh... Okay, so we're going to hear both sides, I think, of a single that came out after the record basically failed, but I guess there were some tracks left. Right. Um, I assume we're going to first hear his version of Everybody's Talking, which is the Fred Neal song that we all know, the Glenn Campbell version yes. and the Harry Nielsen versions. <laughs> this is more of a mariachi Doug Sam version. Yes! <laughs> And apparently the band on it is part of the wrecking crew: uh, oh, Jim Gordon, Carol K, LKC, wow. Larry Nechtel, are the people credited with it. And then the other side is a co-write with somebody named Don Aldridge, who wasn't in the band, that has something to some kind of a tale of dope smuggling.
2: Yeah, right. But Tampa and this is great because I I feel like I I definitely felt a kinship with this record because like I said it's very Californian and I'm in California now. Mm-hmm. But I came here from Florida and this one's let's listen to That's listen great. to the single first and then I think I'm going to play out with that crazy Bonkers cover of Everybody's Talking but let's hear the the single uh this is also like really it's just really weird. Like you said it's like a really weird uh
1: Yeah, I'm I'm flying home fits on the record these other two don't quite, but they're fun.
2: They're fun. Uh, yeah, they really are. Let's listen to a little bit of Tampa Run.
0: Come. No
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a cool single. It's got like the horns in it, I think. And it's got that guitar. I think it's like a slide. Uh, it's slide guitar almost sounds vaguely sitarish, too. So uh, it's just uh, it's definitely cool. Definitely, It's different. like the birds going countryish. Kind yeah, of thing yeah, yeah. Variety. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, and I think, like I said, I'm going to play out the episode with the everybody talking. Because I usually, like lately in episodes, I like to find like weird covers of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and this one fits perfectly. It's just so bonkers. So, um,
1: yeah, I'm wondering actually what you're going to open with on this one.
2: Well, we'll see. I haven't thought about yeah, it. Yeah, see what you find. <laughs> I'll see what I find. So, um yeah, so this was this was really cool, and yeah, like like you said, if anyone's interested, they should definitely check out uh, Moo. Like the like, how much stuff is there of of uh, of Moo? Like,
1: uh, uh, there's several records, and he was on Maui until the late '80s. Right. Um the Mu records are cool, and then they kind of evolve into gentler stuff. But it, it's all pretty interesting. And then he moved back to um, Central California coast around 1990, and over the last 30 years, he's had several syndicated tv shows oh really um, yeah <laughs> um under various names the most recent one was i think called um kiki lounge you know where he's doing hawaiian music oh nice and some okay. of his old friends show up like <laughs> guys from spirit ed cassidy willie nelson plays Wipeout with him on a clip i found on youtube
2: oh nice oh i have to find, he, that. Yeah, I so I think find
1: that he also at one point had a like a radio thing um called surf music news which I assume was, you know, one of those 10 minute things that get dropped in here and there. Right, right, right. Um, so he's had a, a, um, some of these things are on DVD, which are for sale. He also wrote an autobiography called Calling from a Star, I believe. Oh, wow. Which I haven't found. Um, <laughs> but uh, Meryl's led an interesting life. Yeah, uh, I yeah. A lot of the recent stuff. Um But anything anybody probably needs is in this great little box, which I recommend anybody check out if you're interested in any of this.
2: Yeah. Now, and, and, but you had already, uh, so when you got that, you didn't uh, take a flyer out on that. You had already heard some of his stuff, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I had um, a couple of the records in the box and I had this record and I had Faber Dockley, but I'm a sucker for the reissue package. You are
2: right. Yeah. Well, that's what they're, they're made. They make those for for people like you, Mick. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They know their audience uh, <laughs> Alright, so yeah This was great as usual uh, Yeah, you uh, you really brought Something, uh, you know uh, As we said, a lot of people Aren't going to know, but I know I know My listeners, and I know there are some listeners out there They're like, oh great, they finally did a Meryl Fankhauser
1: <laughs> Exactly <laughs> record. It's a real cult record, it's one of those things That shows up on lists of cult records and you know, I haven't heard all of those either. And what often I hear stuff on your show that i you know i've known about but i've never really listened to right and that's right. the fun of it
2: yeah that is that is the fun of it and uh it's fun having you mick always um i should mention mick is a patron of the show and he does participate in a lot of our patron episodes and always does he definitely i I mean have you always uh, do you only bring in reggae songs or has you just been on a good uh, reggae run i think i don't think it's no been i've only since. brought in
1: reggae songs a couple of times right, but i seem to be times. the only one who does they
2: stand out because you're the only one that does them uh, yeah which uh, is uh, great uh, though. apparently so yeah but you always a great uh, submitter and that's a good time for me to mention if you want to become a patron of the show like Mick and like so many others you can go to patreon.com forward slash become a patron and you can take part in the patron episodes which are really a lot of fun right mick they're a lot of fun they're totally fun they're great and some people tell me they're their favorite episodes and even people that aren't that don't participate even tell me that they're their favorite episodes. so
1: it's not only it's just episodes. fun to hear what people come up with right right yeah I, it is. I mean obviously among the patreon listeners you've got usual suspects at this point right, so right. you know exactly. i'm kind of curious to see what certain names are going to come up with
2: yes yes <laughs> Alright, uh, don't forget you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high on X, which X is a complete dumpster fire now with everything going on in the world uh, crumbling. I would, wouldn't recommend going on X at all. Don't. don't I'm not even going to give you where we are. I, I, I Just stay away That's my advice. You can email me at trgmh33 at gmail.com. Don't forget patreon.com forward
1: slash trgmh1 become a
2: patron. Once again, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Mick. As always, it was great talking to you. Always fun, Rob. Thanks. Yep. We'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Alba.
3: We're out of here.
0: everybody!